Well, we are super glad to have all of you with us from all over the world at Church Online. Welcome today, all of our network churches. You guys are fantastic in all of our Life Church campuses. We're starting a brand new series that will last three weeks today and the upcoming two that you are creating by asking questions. It's called FAQ. Everybody say, frequently asked questions. You guys are welcome to ask many more questions. Just go to lifechurch.tv forward slash FAQ. You can ask questions via Facebook or through Uversion. Bring them on and we will tackle them. Here's what we're going to do. This is very, very different. If you are new, this is not what we normally do. You're going to ask a lot of questions. I'm going to cover a lot of ground really, really quickly. We're going to deal with some things that may be a little controversial, may make you a little bit nervous, so let me cover the ground rules. I believe the Bible is the Word of God, so whenever the Bible speaks clearly, I will take a stand. If it hurts your feelings, I am sorry, but I will stand true to what the Bible says. If the Bible does not speak clearly toward a subject, what I will do is I will look for principles to apply, and I'll tell you when I'm doing that. If the Bible doesn't speak clearly, I may just say, I don't know, or I may say, here's my opinion. When I give you my opinion, I'll tell you I'm giving you my opinion. You do have the right to disagree because you always have the right to be wrong. <laughs> just joking, okay? Uh, we don't have to agree on everything, but we will be friendly and do this in love. So if you're ready, say, I'm ready. Let's dive in. The most frequently asked question from last week revolved around the subject of homosexuality. The driving question many people ask, is homosexuality a sin? Before I answer that from a biblical perspective, let me just say that a lot of things have changed since 1974. A lot of things. 1974, I was about this big. I was a little kid going to grade school, and a bigger kid came up to me and said, Craig Rochelle, are you gay? 1974, I was a little kid. I said, I didn't know what that meant. I said, I'm not sure. I'll check back with you tomorrow. <laughs> That's what I said. I went home. Very true story. I said, Mom, what does gay mean? 1974, Mom smiled real big. What do you think she said? Gay means happy. You can tell where this is going, can't you? <laughs> the next day I went back to school. The big kid looked at me and said, Craig Rochelle, are you gay? Thinking gay meant happy. I smiled real big and said, absolutely. And then he punched me right in the mouth. I fell down. I got back up. I looked at him and said, I'm not gay anymore. And I punched him back. <laughs> A lot has changed since 1974. Uh, if I asked you, how many of you know somebody who is gay, virtually everybody would raise their hands. This is a uh, very common issue in the world today. And as I answer this question, let me just tell you, I do so not out of a um, heart of condemnation or looking at a different group of people and saying, oh, you're different than I am, as much as I do from relationships and friendships with people that I've been very close to. And let me just give you a couple of examples and, and how this is um, individualized for me. Uh, I grew up in college with a guy that we were very close party friends together, and then we became Christians about the same time. Uh, we entered into ministry together. I was in his wedding. He was in my wedding. He had four kids. Um, I had six kids. 
and now he's no longer married and he lives in a homosexual lifestyle. And so when I answer this question, I think of this guy who's been my, friend's, my friend for a year and his family um, and such. The other thing I think about the other guy is my wife, Amy, her brother. Uh, her brother's named David. And uh, to give you the full context, David was molested by a non-family member when he was a little boy. And if you've ever been around anything like that, I hope you haven't, but many of you have, you know the baggage and the hurt and the confusion that would do to anyone when they endure um, that kind of um, uh, sinful behavior as a victim. And so uh, David, uh, very confused and hurting, uh, wandered into um, uh, homosexual lifestyle and tragically became infected with HIV. Unlike my friend who left a heterosexual lifestyle for a homosexual lifestyle, David left a homosexual lifestyle in his pursuit of Christ and said that he was transformed and ended up marrying a um, phenomenal gal that's uh, still a very important part of our family, adopted her son and became a great father. Uh, but seven years ago, his disease caught up to him and um, he's no longer with us. And so it's out of the context of relationships that I answer this question, uh, but I do so from a biblical perspective. Uh, here's what the Bible says, is homosexuality a sin? In the Old Testament, uh, we're told that when a man lies with another man as a woman, the Bible says it is detestable. New Testament, Romans chapter 1, verse 24 says, therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned their natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Scripture is very, very clear. This is a sin. The next question a lot of people ask, well, but aren't people born gay? Are people born gay? And since I'm not a doctor or a scientist, I don't feel qualified to answer from that perspective. But from a pastoral perspective, I feel completely qualified to answer and say that all people are born sinners. We're all born bent towards sin. And just because we're bent toward a sin doesn't mean we have license to engage in that sin. For example, there have been many people who were alcoholics in my family. Science would tell you that I am born uh, bent toward with a propensity to become an alcoholic. Does that mean that I have the license to become a drunkard? Again, I would say absolutely not. No matter what I'm bent toward, Scripture is our standard of truth. Some people may want to know, can those who struggle with homosexuality be a Christian? My take is, yes, they can. Just as someone who struggles with uh, adultery or lust or lying as they're pursuing Christ and maybe still tempted to be tempted is not to sin. And even though we do sin, our sins can be forgiven as we continue to pursue Christ. I personally believe that someone who struggles and yet is pursuing Christ can be a Christian. Many people ask, can a gay person change? My brother-in-law, David, would say yes, and he would say that his life was proof. Paul in the New Testament would also say yes. 1 Corinthians 6, 
verse 9 through 12, not just speaking about homosexuality, but speaking about things that virtually every single one of us would deal with at one point in our lives or another. He said, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, thieves, greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Here's the key. And that is what some of you what? Everybody say it aloud. And that is what some of you, say it again, you can do better than that. And that is what some of you, you are not now, that's what you were. You've been changed. That's what you were, but you are not now. You were, but you are not now. But you were washed you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. No matter what sin you're bound by, you can be set free. Jesus said, whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. Can a person change from any type of sin? The answer is unquestionably by the power of Christ, you can. There's my answer. Fair enough? You alive? You still here? You still with me? We're going we're to cover a lot of ground. We're going to move fast. Let's deal with another one. That one didn't upset you. This one might. Tattoos. Should a Christian have a tattoo? Let me tell you this. 40% of people in our country between the ages of 26 and 40 years of age have a tattoo. We ask you before the service started, what do you think? Should a Christian have a tattoo? Here's your answer. 61% of you said, sure. No big deal. 16% of you said, no, that's very bad. 23% of you said, not if it's a naked woman, naked man, satanic picture, or a cat. <laughs> In other words, it depends on the tattoo. Do you want to know what I think? Here's my answer. So you want to know if a Christian should have a tattoo? Well, we're at a local tattoo studio. Let's go in and talk about it. Tattoos can be controversial in different circles, especially in Christian circles. Some people would say, oh no, you can't do that, you're being very rebellious. Others would say, hey, tattoos are just an artistic expression on my body. Some would say, oh no, it's a dangerous, satanic, and cultish practice. Others would simply say, you know, it's a personal expression. The bottom line isn't as much as what do people think, but what does God think about tattoos? What does the Bible say? And the answer is, not a whole lot. There's one verse that speaks directly to tattoos. It's found in Leviticus 19, verse 28, when the Bible says, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourself. I am the Lord. You could say that God is very, very clear and says you should not have tattoos, right? Well, to understand this verse, you have to look at the text in the context of what Leviticus 19 was saying as a whole. You see, the Israelites had just escaped from Egyptian bondage and passed through the Red Sea, and God was telling them, don't take on the pagan practices of the Egyptians. When an Egyptian would die, the remaining relative, they would often cut into their body to let out what was known as the lifeblood, and this was a pagan ritual. God said, don't do that. Some would also tattoo on their bodies pictures of pagan gods, and again, the one true God said, don't you ever do that. If you want to take Leviticus 19 literally, we need to be careful because this was the Old Testament law fulfilled by Christ in the New Testament. Leviticus 19 also tells us don't cut your hair or your beard. It says don't wear clothing with different kinds of material, things that we all do every day. Leviticus 19, the bottom line, was talking about 
idolatry don't take on the pagan practices of the Egyptians. Some of my Christian friends that are very pro-tattoo make a good argument that a Christian tattoo can be a good witness or a good conversation starter. They'll also argue if you want to be against tattoos, you should probably be against ear piercings because Leviticus 19.28 says, don't cut your body. If you are considering getting a tattoo, there are a couple things to think about. First of all, you might be considered rebellious by some. If you're going in for a job interview or meeting someone for the first time, people can be very judgmental and they may look at the outside and make a judgment on you, so it's something to think about. Secondly, you need to remember that you might be making a decision that you would later regret. I had a friend who tattooed I love Beth and then he married Susan which was awkward for everyone. And what looks good on you at 22 might look very saggy at 62. Just think about it. If you're 19 years old and living with mom and dad and mom and dad are paying the bills and you want a tattoo and mom and dad say no, there's no tattoo for you. If my kids ask, Daddy, can we get a tattoo? I'm gonna tell them, I don't think so right now. When they're grown-ups, if they wanna get a tattoo, I'd simply say, let's make sure it's something you want forever, in a place you want forever, in a size you want forever. I'm not going to recommend they get it, but again, it's like a haircut, a style. It's the outside. What's on the inside matters most. That's my take on tattoos. All right, so it's probably pretty obvious I do not have a tattoo. If I would get one, just for the record, it would be a warrior cross symbol. It would be right here on my arm. It would look cool. <laughs> but I probably won't get one. If I did, that's what it would be. <laughs> we had another question. This one comes from Rachel via Skype. Hey, Craig, this is Rachel from South Tulsa. I have some friends getting married, and the question came up the other day. Is it okay for Christians to use birth control? Oh, that's an interesting question. I can see some of you right now starting to sweat. You're going, oh, no, I know he's got six kids. What's he going to say? And how is it going to mess up my life from here on out? Before I answer this question, let me tell you my cheesy joke. First of all, there were three pregnant couples in the doctor's office going to get their first ultrasound. The first couple came in. The wife came back out. Her eyes were really big. And she said, oh, my gosh, my husband works for the Minnesota Twins. And the doctor just told us, we're having twins. The second couple went in. A moment later, the wife came out. Her eyes were big. She said, you're not going to believe this. My, my husband works for 3M, and the doctor said, we're having triplets. The third husband passed out cold. The other people looked at the wife and said, why do you pass out? And she said, I don't know. He works for 7-Eleven, and I don't know what that means. Should a Christian use birth control? There are some Christians who would say, no way, ever, you're limiting the blessings of God, that would be a sin, you should never, ever use birth control. There are others who go, huh, what are you talking about? God gave you a brain, I mean, you know, you can think for yourself, why, why, would, why would that even be an issue? It could be very controversial. Those who say you should never use birth control, one of the arguments from the Bible they use is a kind of a gross little story in Genesis 38 about a guy named Onan who was having physical relations with Tamar, and as he kind of got to the end of the deal, what the Bible says is he spilt his seed on the ground. 
That's what the Bible says. <laughs> Disgusting, but that's just what the Bible says. He just, God didn't like that. God did something very severe to show that God didn't like what he did. You can read the story, and God executed about the most severe judgment upon this guy. So people say, well, it's obvious if you have used birth control, then God does not like that at all. You have to know the whole story is what this guy was doing was actually commanded by Deuteronomy that when your brother dies, if his wife is still alive, as a family duty is to go and help her have a child so that the family can continue on. So he was actually doing what he was supposed to do for his deceased brother's wife, but what he was doing was he was basically using her for his own selfish gratification, and so God said, I'm not going to have anything of that, and God actually took his life, very severe, but that's the way it goes. So that story is not talking as much about birth control as much as it is selfish, lustful desires and such. The Bible does not speak directly and say, thou shalt not ever or thou shalt use birth control. So what I'll do is I'll give you a couple of principles and then I'll apply it as I see it. Uh, Genesis 128, God looked at Adam and Eve, he blessed them and he said to them, be what? He said, be fruitful, have kids. He said, Go out and do what? He said, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply, get it going, pop them out, have kids, fill the earth and subdue it. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, sons are a heritage from the Lord, children are what? They are a reward from him. Other parts, other versions and other verses will say children are a blessing from God. I truthfully believe that children are a blessing. I personally believe that many people are limiting the blessings of God through birth control. Uh, to give you some context, Amy grew up, she was the younger sister, had one older brother, there were two, boy and girl. I grew up, I was the older brother, had a younger sister, boy and girl. So because of the way we were raised and because of most of our friends, when we got married, we thought we'd have two kids, a boy and then a girl. Lo and behold, the first child we had was a girl, which changed up our plan, but unquestionably, my first daughter, Katie, was the biggest blessing in my life outside of Christ and my marriage. Then number two, we had Mandy. Oh my gosh, I've never thought I could love a second child as much as the first. New blessing. We prayed, we felt like God said to keep on going. Boom, third round, another girl, little Anna, the great blessing of our lives. We prayed, had we stopped at Mandy, we would have never known the blessing of little Anna, who is a delight in every way. We had a fourth child, a son, Samuel. Uh, oh, there's the boy, we should stop at the boy, right? Now we've got the girls and the boy. We prayed and we felt like God just said, hey, it's insane, let's might as well just keep on going. We had another son, Stephen. His big brother, Sam, called him Booby, which was unacceptable in our house, so we changed it to Buki, and now seven years later, he's known as Buki. If we'd stopped at four, we would have never known the blessing of little Buki, my seven-year-old son. Then God gave us a bonus round that took us all by surprise. Number six, the joy of our lives, we call her Joy or Jojo. Had we stopped at five, we would have never known the blessings of six. Some people say, are you gonna go for seven? In my world, the difference between six and seven is the difference between a Suburban and a 15-passenger van, and <laughs> as much as I love children, there are just some things I will not do. 
That's just my take on it. So, do I believe that birth control is a sin for a Christian? There is nothing in the Bible that says that to be so, so I cannot say that it is. But what I do believe is that culture's approach to it is often wrong. I believe that. I believe that today people just go and say, well, everybody does it, so we're going to do it, and here's what we're going to do. And without prayer and without seeking God, and if there is any area in your life that you should pray and seek God, it is in the area of God's blessings of new life. What I also think, and now I'm kind of going to meddle a little bit, and this is just my opinion, so I'll, I'll tell you it is, that I believe it's tragic that so many people choose not to have more blessings for the two most common reasons. Number one, we can't afford it. Number two, we don't have time, which I think personally are two of the most self-centered and selfish excuses to say, God, we don't want any more blessings. To say we don't have enough money says either we love the material blessings of this world more or we're bad stewards or we don't have faith in God to provide. And to say we don't have enough time means our time is more important than family time, but what about one-on-one quality time with kids? A lot of people say, I believe one-on-three, one-on-four, one-on-five is very healthy, that having multiple kids can be a very big blessing. Is birth control wrong? I don't think so, but I think birth control without seeking God is leaving the giver of life out of the equation and is very, very foolish. If there is a verse in the Bible that does imply that birth control is okay, I'll show you what it is. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Uh, God was speaking of spiritual life, but I want to show you something you've probably never seen before. Scripture says, God gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, that's, they're born spiritually, and then the Bible says, nor of what? Nor of human decision or a what? Or a husband's will, but born of God. Not born of a human decision or a husband's will. This is a loose application of this verse, but this verse could imply that it is, there are times, maybe even a lot of times, that it's a husband's decision or it's the couple's decision together as they seek God as to what would be appropriate. I could think of some families that are about to divorce or they are very abusive that I don't think if I were God, I would want to bring another child into that environment. So perhaps it's a verse that could apply. Bottom line is I won't judge you for only having two if you won't judge me for having a basketball team with one substitutionary player on the sideline. Fair enough? All right. Allie Meyer is, a, um, is a, an anchor for a local NBC affiliate, and she took a moment and put me on the hot seat. Welcome to round one of the hot seat. All right, Craig, let's start with a question from Michelle. She's from Wellington. Is it okay to be cremated? Allie, I'm guessing that Michelle is wondering because the Bible says that one day the dead in Christ will rise and meet Jesus in the air. She's probably wondering if she's cremated, will her body come back together? Genesis 3.19 says, for dust you are and to dust you will return. If you're buried in a box, you're going to become dust. If you're cremated, you're going to become dust. It's just going to be faster. My guess is Jesus can put you back together. Cremation's probably okay. Mike from Fort Worth has a good question also. He wants to know, will we be married in heaven? I wish we were because I love my wife a bunch, but here's what Jesus said, Matthew 22:30. He said, at the resurrection, people will neither marry 
nor be given in marriage. We're not going to be married in heaven. What about our Mormon friends, though? They certainly have a different system of belief. Mormons believe that we'll, we will be married in heaven. Jesus said that we won't. I'm praying that Amy can be my roommate or next door neighbor. Good call. All right, Jennifer from Yukon wants to know, will we recognize each other in heaven? The Bible doesn't speak directly to this anywhere. Uh, there is evidence that we're going to have some sort of a memory of what took place on earth because we'll give an account for our actions. There's also a great story, Allie, in Luke 16 where there was a rich man in a place called Hades and he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. If you read this story, you'll see that the rich man in Hades was concerned about his brothers who were still left behind on earth, giving us some indication of memory. My guess is that people will recognize each other in heaven. Here's a good question from Charisse in Church Online. She wants to know, can people see us from heaven? A lot of folks have lost a loved one and want to know if Grandma's watching. A lot of people say Grandma's my guardian angel or Grandma's watch me. Between you and me, there are times I hope Grandma's not watching. Be real really honest. Really like when? Uh, I can't answer that. But anyway, uh, those yeah. who say that they might be able to see us will often quote Hebrews chapter 12 that says now, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and they'll say the cloud of witnesses are actually witnessing what goes on earth. I think the cloud of witnesses witness the glory of God and can't see what's going on, on earth. In Luke 16, again, this story about the rich man and Lazarus indicate they probably cannot see us because if they could see us, they would be filled with grief and seeing what's going on. Uh, there's no grief in heaven, so I don't think people can see us. God is all-knowing, and thankfully, Grandma is not. I'll see you next week. Thank you. All right, well, one of the questions she didn't ask about was, do your pets go to heaven? You know, if Fluffy dies or your cat, do they go to heaven? Do you guys want to know the answer to that? You, yes, yes, no, don't care? All right, we won't answer it. Okay, uh, let's deal with another question. This one comes from uh, one of our campus pastors from Albany, New York, Josh Brower via Skype. Hi, LifeChurch.tv. My name is Josh. I'm the campus pastor in our Albany location, and uh, things are going well. God's doing some great things. And so for this series, FAQ, I've been hearing a few people ask this question. So Craig, I want to know, a lot of people at my campus want to know, if a person commits suicide, does that person automatically go to hell? Okay, Josh, uh, tough question. And let me just give you some stats and then, then tell you some stuff from my personal perspective. In the U.S. each year, about one million people attempt suicide. Tragically, about one in 15 succeed. That number of attempts has doubled in the last 10 years. It's a lot of hurting people. Uh, I just want to say, first of all, that uh, I'm going to try to answer this, and, and I want to do it as um, compassionately as I can because there are many of you who have experienced loss, um, someone that you love, and my heart breaks for you, and some of you may be at a place where you feel like the world is so dark, you've actually thought about that maybe in the past or even contemplated recently of taking your own life. Um, as a pastor, to do uh, officiate at one funeral of uh, a suicide is too many, and I've officiated at too many to count. And each time, it's the most gut-wrenching thing you could ever imagine. One of the most um, personally painful among many uh, was a guy who helped mentor me in ministry. I was in my early 20s, and he was um, 
a few years older and had been in ministry longer, and took me under his wing and became a mentor and a very close friend. And I learned so much from him. Unfortunately, he made some bad decisions and his life spiraled out of control. And after a bunch of different things happened, one evening his wife called, I was the first call, and she said that she found her husband no longer alive. And so it's with that and many others that I answer this question. On the side note, I did the, um, the funeral for him and there's nothing worse than taking your friend who felt like he was in such a dark place and putting his body in the ground because of his, the, the pain that he went through. And so it's, it's with an understanding of what many of you have experienced that I'll try to answer this question. Uh, some biblical examples, just in case you want to research kind of what happened in the Bible. There are several. Uh, Judges chapter 9 shows one time when a guy named Abimelech asked his armor bearer to, to kill him. Uh, that would probably qualify as suicide. Saul in the Old Testament, when he was mortally wounded, fell on his own sword. Again, that probably would qualify as suicide. Uh, in the New Testament, Judas, after he betrayed Christ, uh, went out and took his life, unable to handle what he did. Uh, what happens to someone when they commit suicide eternally? Well, the Bible doesn't say directly, here's what happens. Those who say unquestionably if someone commits suicide, they go to hell, they'll often use 1 John 3.15. The Bible says anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. They'll say taking your own life is obviously murder, so therefore you will not go to heaven. It's interesting, though, if you think about Samson, you may remember in the Old Testament, you can read about him, he took his own life, admittedly trying to take out the enemy, the Philistines, but he's listed in the chapter of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, implying most likely that even though he did take his life, he would spend eternity in heaven. Here's my take. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says this, therefore since we have been justified through what? Everybody say it aloud. We've been justified through faith. In other words, we're made right with God through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've gained access by what? By faith into this grace in which we now stand. I see only one sin in the Bible which is unforgivable. That is the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. I believe that is a different sin than taking your own life. I do believe that taking your life is unquestionably a sin. It's also one of the most selfish things that you can do. It is my hope that just as all other sins are forgivable, that this one is as well. It is my guess that a Christian who takes his life can be forgiven. But I say that with more caution than you can ever imagine because I beg you, never, ever to use that as a justification or to rationalize a decision as such. I would never risk my eternal destination based on a dark moment. I believe there are people who can be under severe demonic attack, demonic oppression, maybe they're chemically imbalanced, maybe they're at a very dark place and in a moment of panic and sheer fear, thinking life will never ever get better, they make a sinful, a stupid, and a selfish decision. It is my hope that God has grace through his son, and I believe he does, to forgive them. But I will tell you, if you ever contemplate suicide, it is never the answer. There, you will leave a wake of more pain than you could possibly comprehend. There is always hope. I want you to, if you're considering this, I want you to tell somebody today. Do not leave without telling somebody today. I want you to tell Christ. I want you to call on 
him. There is always hope in Christ. There is always healing in Christ. There is always forgiveness in Christ. There is always love in Christ. Call on Christ. Call on his people and let them comfort you in this time. Praying together. Father, I ask now that you would take the, the topics that we've covered today, but more importantly, the power of your spirit and the truth of your word and use it to minister hope and life to those who are hurting today. As you're praying at, at all of our locations, I just know in, in groups this size, that there are many of you that you're in, a, you're in a dark spot right now and you may just say, Craig, would you pray for me? You may be trapped in some sort of a sinful behavior right now and you think there's no way I can get out and I wanna tell you through Christ, you can get out. You may be in a relationship that's so bad you feel like there, it could never go good again. And I, I just want to tell you, in Christ, there is always hope. You may have had a, a, a bad report from a doctor, maybe for your body or someone that you love. And I would say in Christ, the great physician, there is healing. You, you may be so depressed today and, and you just don't even know which way to turn. In Christ, he can renew your mind. He can touch your body. There is always hope. If you're hurting today, Maybe you're a little bit afraid, maybe you're depressed, maybe, you're, maybe you feel like you're trapped and you would like prayer. I would be honored to pray for you. If that's you, would you just lift up your hands right now, all of our locations, and just say, yes, I'm in a place where I need prayer. Just lift up your hands right now. Just, just a bunch of you saying, yes, that's me. Father, I do, I pray that your presence right now, that your Holy Spirit would minister to all of those people in need. And God, I thank you that you do know the intimate details of each situation. And I ask God that you would work to bring healing, God, to bring life, to bring hope, to bring joy, to bring peace, oh God, that your presence would be enough. God, I pray that, that where, where there is bondage, there would be freedom for everyone who finds Christ would be set free. I pray, God, that your risen son, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit would minister today. And God, I believe you're doing so. As you keep praying today, you may, you, you may find yourself with a lot of spiritual questions. Here's what I'd, I'd like for you to do. Just throw your life toward God today and say, take it. You, you may have grown up a lot like I did, and, and I, I had question after question after question. The big one, you know, have, uh, am I good enough for God? Have I, have I worked my way to him? I hope today that the verses we looked at showed you very clearly that there's no such thing as being good enough. You, you can never be made right with God by your works. You're only made right with God by faith in what his son Jesus did. Some of you today, you may feel trapped, and you may feel I'm, I'm not good enough, and Jesus would just say, come to me. There's a verse in Revelation where he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Today, God is knocking on the door of your heart. Many of you, you know it. You've been, you've, been felt, you, you've been feeling drawn to God. You're not sure why, and you maybe feel unworthy, and you, you think, I'm not good enough. And he just wants you to open up your life today and say, come on in, take over, forgive me. When you pray that, Jesus will forgive you. Any and every sin that you've ever committed, it will be washed away as if you've never sinned. You'll be born spiritually anew. You'll be transformed. Just let him in. He wants into your life. At all of our, our locations, there are those of you that God brought here specifically for this moment to call on the name of Jesus. He will forgive you. He will make you new. That's why you're here today. You know it. Today is the day of your salvation as you throw your whole life into his hands and say, God, just take it all. Make me new. Jesus, I give my whole life to you. If that's you today, at all of our locations, would you just lift your hands high right now? Just lift them up and say, yes, that's me. I surrender to you. 
right up here. God bless you. And right back over here, sir, and right over here as well. Welcome into God's family. Others of you would say me too. Right back over here in this section. Both of you right back here toward the back. God bless both of you all. Others of you today right here in the middle section. Yes, Jesus, take over, transform me. Others today right back over here on this side. Praise God for you. Others today right back over there. Big hand lifted high in the air. Welcome into God's family. Those of you at church online, just click right below me, right back over here. Others of you saying, yes, take over, Jesus. I surrender. I surrender. The presence of God is here, and he's, he's drawing you. Call on his name today. Others of you, others of you today, pray together, will you, at all of our campuses. Just, just everybody aloud pray. Heavenly Father, save me from my sins. Make me brand new. I know I'm not good enough and I never will be, but I believe Jesus was. I put my faith completely in him. Fill me with your spirit so I could serve you always. Thank you for new life. Now I give mine to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Life Church, all of our campuses, would you take a moment and worship God? Tell him that you love him. Welcome those today born into his family.